Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. ...is where we first are introduced to Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 7, verses 57 through 60, it says this. But they cried out, and this is just kind of giving you the setting. This is when Stephen, who we talked about multiple weeks in a row, so I'm not going to give the background on him. He's just a phenomenal guy in the church, faithful servant. He's now preaching a sermon because someone brought up a question asking him of the hope that he has. And so he then preaches a sermon, and as he's preaching that sermon, once it gets to the end of the sermon, at verse 57, this is the people, the Sanhedrin, this is how they respond. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. I mean, literally, they so hated the good news that Stephen was preaching them that they clamped their ears closed and just started screaming. I mean, I don't know, like last time you were in a conversation with somebody and they started doing that. Like, that's weird. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Remember that. Actually, go, go back to chapter 7. And some of you might be there. If you have a Bible, if you underline or highlight or anything, I want you to underline or highlight that specific part where Stephen prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then it goes into chapter 8, verse 1. We pick right back up with Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. In the Greek, it actually, he heartily approved of the execution. Like there was, um, it was elevated in his approval of what was going on. Like this excited him. This turned him on. Like this, this really pushed the right buttons for Saul to be able to see somebody who is preaching Jesus Christ for them to then be beaten and stoned to death. Like I can't, I can't picture what it would be like to be in a room watching someone literally be stoned, pelted with rocks to the point of them dying. Much less loving it, being excited about it. And this is Saul. And it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this is Saul. Saul's one of the, the greatest hostile opponents towards the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, we've not seen anybody up to this point be this adamant against the church of Jesus Christ. When it comes to just his hatred towards it, like his zealous hatred towards it, as we're going to see here in a minute. So let's jump to now chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through, Lord willing, 31 today. Chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
So here's Saul. I mean, there's been some time passed between Stephen's death and and now here in chapter 9 where Saul's asking for papers to be able to go to Damascus to just hunt Christians. I mean, that's literally what he's doing. He's hunting Christians. We've had some time spread. The gospel has scattered from, from Jerusalem now into Judea and Samaria. We've seen Philip that's been preached over the last couple of weeks spreading the gospel, performing miracles. We've seen men try to purchase that new power and it didn't work well for them. And now we see this Saul is just continuing to grow. So I point that out, he's continuing to grow in his hostility towards the church. I point that out because I think, unfortunately, in our current society, we're quick to go after people who are seeking the truth, who are open to discussion, who are open to dialogue, who are open to, hey, here's kind of what I believe, but I'm interested in what you believe. Hey, here's a book. Here's a book. Let's read this. Like, like Paul on the road to Damascus is not been given, like Tim Keller's The Reason for God. Like, he's not reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Like, he's not reading books that are asking you to consider Christ. Rather, he's reading papers of what am I allowed to do in murdering Christians and dragging off men and women, I don't, regardless of gender, whoever they are, I'm willing to go in and kick the doors into their houses and drag them out, beat them, and imprison them. And we know, based on his track record, that ho- he's hoping that it gets to being able to murder them. This is Saul. And so this idea of amazing grace, what God can do, my prayer for us in this room is that it changes our perspective towards what we would consider enemies. That our enemy is not flesh and blood. That rather our enemy is the spiritual realm around us that includes the devil, that includes um, his, his demons, that includes just the demonic force, that includes our own sinful flesh as well. Like this is, this is what we're at war with. We're not at war with enemies like Saul. Because wouldn't it have been easy for Stephen, knowing the Old Testament like he did, to be able to preach the sermon that he preached pointing out all of the way that they have persecuted prophets of old. The way they, they've killed, like every time God sends someone to them, they kill that person that God sent to them. How much is it for Stephen to be able to look at these people stoning him and to look at Saul, who's in hearty approval, and be like, you know what? I remember a story in the Old Testament of God um, just sending fire from heaven. Lot's wife, that pillar of salt. Can we make Saul a pillar of salt real quick? Can we just do that? Can we strike down um, just with lightning bolts? Like God, just, take, just wipe him out. Like we saw what happened to those um, who, who kept, who were greedy in the church early on. Can, can we just drop them dead? But that's not what Stephen was doing. When he's viewing those murdering him, he's praying These are not my enemies. God, do not hold this sin against them. Man, I'm praying that for us as we we see what God can do with someone who is adamantly, ferociously, zealously against him and his people. 
Let's continue reading. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I love that because Jesus has, has now ascended onto heaven. He's, he's been gone for a while. His, his apostles have been sent out. Churches have, are now being planted outside of Jerusalem. The gospel is spreading. And Jesus shows up on this road to Damascus, blinding Saul with a light that falls around him. Saul's the only one that can hear him. These other guys around him, they can hear the voice, but they can't see what's going on. And Saul literally is saying, like, who are you? What's going on? And Jesus' response is, why are you persecuting me? To persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. To be against the church is to be against Jesus. And, and why is that good news for us? It's because Jesus is identifying the body of Christ as himself. This comes back to identity. This comes back to, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's Galatians 2.20. This is us being the body of Christ, living out the identity of Christ as Jesus is looking upon us saying, that is my voice, that is my hands, that is my feet. That, that, this is me moving and spreading my mission, my good news, my gospel out to the people. I'm doing the work via the body of believers. That gives us hope that... that it's not in my own strength, it's not in my own strategy, it's not in my own ability, it's not in my own efforts. Like Christ is building his church, but not only is he building his church, but he is living through his church in order to execute his mission. Not only getting the gospel out, but getting the gospel in. Transforming your heart, your identity, your mind, renewing you, refreshing you, restoring you, all the benefits that come with the gospel. Jesus is actively, presently producing that within us. We are Christ. So the men who were traveling with him, or he says, verse 6, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Also kind of love that, like just because Jesus just tells them. It wasn't like, hey man, would you consider me? Would you follow me? No, no, no. Blinded. You're, you're stopping in your tracks. You are on your way to Damascus to kill my people. Not happening. You're going to get up, you're going to go into that city, and then I'm going to tell you what to do. And I'm going to explain here in a minute why that was the greatest news that Paul has ever heard. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. 
And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to, to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I love Ananias. I love just his brutal honesty when God asked him to do something. You've got Saul of Tarsus who's now been led into Damascus. He's staying with a guy, what was his name? Judas. He's staying with a guy named Judas on Straight Street. And, and God tells Ananias, I want you to go over to Judas' house, and I want you to lay your hands on the, the, the Saul of Tarsus, and I want you to heal him. Ananias is like, I've heard of this guy. He's got papers that are literally, he, like, I'm one of the guys that he's probably on his way to in order to kill, and you want me to go over, like, are you sure, God? I mean, how many times, like, in our own lives, as we're praying, as we're seeking out what we should do, and we feel like we have a direction, but we're kind of like, I don't know if that's a good idea, God. I didn't, like, that's not what I think would be best. And, and like, has God ever been like, man, thank me for you, that you were willing to ask me whether or not this was a good idea. I should probably change my mind on that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rework this situation for you. Like, no, that never happens. But Ananias, like, that's, that's kind of where he's at right now. Like, if I go over there and get shanked by this Saul of Tarsus, like, this is on you, Lord. And so he ends up going over there because he's a faithful servant of Christ. He ends up going over there and he enters the house, verse 17. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. A question I had was, why Ananias? This is total conjecture. Why Ananias? Like, if, if the Lord showed up on the road to Damascus, blinded Saul with his own sheer power, his own might, then why not just heal him? Why include Ananias? Why not just, if, if the way the gospel was re, like literally proclaimed to Saul was outside of the norm of what Jesus usually commissions which is the going and preaching of the word of God then why not just finish the work of what you're starting to do with Saul rather than including other people in it and I don't think it was necessarily for Saul as much as I think it's for the church as I think it's for Ananias again this is total conjecture I've got nothing to back this up but I believe Ananias, the reason why God called him to go to Saul was because Ananias knew who Saul was. Because he knew that he was a ravager of the church. That he was a murderer of Stephen. That he heartily approved, like he gets excited about killing Christians. 
and for Ananias to be able to go over and to see and to participate in, to be invited into the transformation of Saul to become Paul was not only for the benefit of Saul being healed and then now commissioned to be able to preach the gospel in, in Damascus, but it was also for the faith of Ananias to be built up to see how great the gospel is. How powerful the gospel is that it can change Saul. That it can take someone who is such an enemy of the church and such an enemy of God, who hates God, to be able to now fall in love with God. This is the power of the gospel. And Ananias has a front row seat to participating in this. Man, like that, that fuels me to be able to want to go into risky situations. Difficult areas around the globe to want to take the gospel to personally be invited in to seeing God change and transform someone's heart and mind and life and soul who are adamantly against this. Kelsey's not approved of this yet, but this makes me want to go to the Middle East in order to sit down with, an, uh, with, with a leader of ISIS who is willing and wanting and loving to kill me in that moment and share the gospel with them to see Jesus be made much of. Calm down. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not buying a ticket tomorrow. But I want to see that. I want to see that in our city. I want to see that in our neighborhoods. People who, as soon as you bring up anything that has to do with Bible or Jesus, that they just get that immediate, just disgusted look on their face. And I want to share with them the same thing that Paul now begins to share. I'm actually going to skip the rest of these parts of, of Acts. We'll just cover it next week. But Galatians 1, turn over to me with, to Galatians 1. I want you to see the way that Paul describes his for to me. In Galatians 1, verse 11, he says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Which is basically, like, I didn't come up with this. I didn't, like, write, I didn't sit you know, get a think tank together and get some people together and be like, hey, what kind of message could we come up with that will gain us power and privilege in other communities and cities? How can we do that? And like, no, he, no one came up with this. The gospel that is preached is not man's gospel. It's God's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's describing his road to Damascus. Jesus showed up and revealed himself to me. He says, verse 13, this is the for to me. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What he's basically saying is, no one was going to convince me otherwise. No one was going to come into my life and share a message with me that was then going to derail me from the path to rabbi that I was on. 
I mean, Saul was such an intellect in Judaism that he was on track to be the next rabbi of Jerusalem. He was going to be the greatest leader within the Jewish sect in Jerusalem to where he would literally exercise all power and authority. Think Pope of the Catholic Church. That was going to be Saul in the Jewish religion and customs. No one was going to convince him otherwise. So zealous was he for this. But then I love verse 15. But when he, referring to Jesus, who had set me apart before I was born, he who set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Let's just think about those three things right there. He's describing his salvation. God set me apart before I was born. This could get me in trouble, but let's just think sanctity of life for a minute. In the womb, God's telling Saul, I've set you apart for a mission, for a purpose, to have life, to be pleased in me, to be cared for, to be loved. Set apart before he was born. When God started knitting Saul together in his mother's womb, God knew exactly what his sin was going to be, and he knew exactly at the moment when he was going to save him. I mean, I could just see, like, who called me? Like, Jesus called, like, not on an iPhone or anything. Saul didn't have that on Damascus, but he called him. He, He came to him and said, Saul, Saul. I'm coming to you. I'm pursuing you. I'm drawing you into me. Saul wasn't looking for him. God called him. Just like God called me when a fifth grader next door to me, when I was in seventh grade, shared the gospel with me. A fifth grader. God used to call me to himself. You guys, why we, we, we so value Little District is because there was a fifth grader who had people preaching to him, telling him the goodness of Jesus, telling him the stories of the Bible to the point that when he was 10 years old, he went to his 12-year-old neighbor and said, I've got to share something with you. And through that, God called me to himself. It says it pleased God to reveal Jesus to Saul as he's on this road. I mean, like, for anybody, for God to exercise his wrath on, would it not be Saul? I mean, Saul's murdering Stephen while Jesus is standing at the right hand of God looking at Stephen, applauding his sacrifice applauding his celebration of the fact that to die is gain for him. Applauding and and encouraging him in the moment that you are to pray for those who are persecuting you. Like that's Jesus who's looking at Stephen as he's being stoned to death, who's also then looking at Saul as Stephen is praying, saying, it's just only a matter of time. 
I'm coming for you, Saul. It's only a matter of time. I know exactly the moment on the road to Damascus when I'm going to show up and I'm going to blind you. And I can only just picture God in heaven, Jesus Christ, as, as Saul is on that road to Damascus where Jesus is just like, I've been waiting 42 years for this one. I'm so, like, it pleased God to save Saul. It pleased him. It made God happy to stop a man in his tracks who's persecuting him in order to give him a heart that loves him. Man, it pleased God to reveal his son to me in order, and this is the, the fourth part of God or of Saul's story, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He set him apart before birth. He called him. It pleased God to call him. And then he commissioned him. And it was immediate. I mean, it wasn't like, all right, you're a new believer now. Let's get you on a kind of a track. Like, we're going to six months of membership. You know, we, wanna, we want you to sit in under somebody's shadow for a little while. Like, there was, there was no leadership development pipeline for Saul. Like, he just, wait for Ananias. He's going to pray for you. He's going to lay some hands on you. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. You're going to have some weird things fall off your eyes. And then just, he just starts preaching. So the guy who was coming to Damascus in order to kill Christians is now walking into the synagogues in Damascus reasoning with the Jews who used to be his buds in order to now try to win them over to, hey, this Jesus, he is the Son of God. This Jesus whom we're persecuting, who we love to persecute, he's actually God. Who he said he was, he actually was. He's not the one who was guilty of blaspheming. We're the ones guilty of blaspheming God. We got it wrong. He's right. And so this is Saul now beginning to just preach the good news of Christ. Why? It's not just because Jesus said, you're going to do what I want you to do. It's not just because Jesus, Jesus said that I'm going to show you how much you must suffer. Like He's not like you're trying to pay back all the suffering that you've caused me. But rather, it's what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 8. Paul says this to the church. Being found... Nope. I think I wrote that down wrong. 3, 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What Paul does in Philippians, in his letter to the Philippians, is he just lays out to them this for to me. And what he describes to them is his former life how he was a Pharisee of Pharisee, how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, how he was circumcised the eighth day, how, how everything was in line for him to have the greatest privilege, the greatest security, the greatest wealth, anything and everything that he wanted was at his disposal. And he says, I count all of that as rubbish. 
which in the Greek is dung. I count it all as rubbish, as meaningless in comparison to just simply knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. You can strip everything away from Paul. And if Jesus is all he has left, then what he is explaining to us is it is of infinite value. Take away my family. If I have Jesus, I'm moving on. Take away my wealth. If I've got Jesus, I'm moving on. Take away anything or give me anything. And if I sacrifice Jesus in order to gain it, it's not worth it. Jesus is all I want and all I need and all I'm after and longing for. He is the object of my affection. He's the object of my worship. He's the object of who my life is designed for, purposed for, and is ultimately worshiping. And so for me, the way I want to finish this out and close is I hope that each one of us can just take some time to reflect on for to me. What is your for to me? Like, like when we think back on our salvation moment or period or however you want to view that, when we look back on when God saved us, what has he saved us from? that causes us to treasure him that much more? How has he changed the, the, the trajectory of our life that is for our joy and not our destruction? How is he continuing to do, how is he continuing to form your for to me today when it comes to how he's rescuing you and redeeming you and restoring you now? How are you increasing, just like Ananias in his faith, how are you increasing by seeing the miracle of God's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in your life and in the lives of those around you? Because for me, I believe the more we reflect on this specific thing, how God has taken a wretch and has made us righteous, how he's taken us to be from sinners to saints, broken to whole in him. The more we continue to be reminded of the gospel's work in our lives, the more we will, like Paul, serve those around us by pursuing them just like Jesus pursued Saul. I mean, just stopping them in their track. I mean, if you want to get a really bright flashlight and figure that out, like, you can do whatever you want to do. But, like, let's get into the lives of those around us and stop them where they're at in order to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, knowing that that good news of Jesus Christ is going to be the greatest message that they ever hear and hopefully receive in order for them to now live a life that is on the trajectory of glory to God and joy for them, not destruction and robbing God of his glory.
man, let that just build up within us. And so here's the way that I want to close out is, and if you can't think of someone, that's fine. But I want you to think of someone, whether it's, it's a Saul of Tarsus in your life that you're like, really, God, you want me to go talk to them? Or it's someone that, that, that you're close to, that you love dearly, that might disagree with where you're at with Christ. Regardless of whether or not you consider them an enemy or a friend, someone who's in your life who does not know Jesus, does not love Jesus, we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for them. And that's how we're going to close out, is in prayer. And let's circle up. Let's, let's, get in, let's get in twos and threes um, and get together and just spend some time praying for people to come to know Jesus because we see what God can do in the life of Saul becoming Paul. We know what God promises to do. He's not finished redeeming people. And we now know that God also, just like Ananias, invites us to play a part in that process. And so let's get together. Go ahead. Two, three people, four, whatever you want to do, whatever's comfortable for you guys. Let's just get together. If you don't know that person, just be like, hey, he said to pray with you, so I'm going to pray with you. So let's just, let's just group up, get together, and let's pray for, let's pray for people. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church.